Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a steampunk wonderland filled with airships, gas lamps, and an entire menagerie of animal souls. The church is ever-present, and Philip Pullman's universe derided by real-life Catholic people every chance they can get. It's my favorite fantasy series of all time, but one fuckboy reigns supreme, literally lording over all of us with a grimace of disdain and a very soft-looking snow leopard. Howdy, attic wives and lit witches. This is Fuckboys of Literature, and I'm your host, Emily Edwards. The His Dark Materials universe is unusual, not because of its contents or premise, but because it's the only fantasy novel series I actually really like. While I appreciate many genres, fantasy is just kind of hard for me to get into. But Lyra Belacqua and her world, or worlds, should I say, is my absolute favorite, and it was both a blessing and a curse to get to read it again for the show. With me today are two guests, Nicole Washington. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited to talk about all the things that I don't like about this series. <laughs> <laughs> and Lauren Richards, how are you? Good. I'm excited to talk about all the, the things that I do love about this series. <laughs> Excellent. The guests play off of each other today. <laughs> And before we get into the meat of the series, I should warn listeners that this is going to be spoiler heavy for anyone who's waiting on the show. And if you haven't read the books, but the books have been out since in the US since 1996. So you get to just fucking deal with it. When did you guys first read or get exposed to the series? I guess it's the first question. I read them when they first came out. So I was in middle school. Gotcha. So like, yeah, so like Lyra's age. So I've basically had like 30 years to think about what my demon is. And (laughs) I have a lot of opinions about that. Um, I am very heavy into HBO's Sunday night dramas. And I saw the commercial for (laughs) for the series uh, and texted Lauren and was like, should I read this? I should probably read this before the series comes out. Right. And so I've read them all in the last month. I also don't really like fantasy it's not really my thing. Like I could never get into Tolkien. Harry Potter was pretty much it for me. Yeah. Um, I did actually really like these series a lot. There were just a lot of things that made me very angry about it. <laughs> so really quickly, without too, too much explanation, what's your Damon? Uh, mine is a Corvid, which for uh, those of you in the know is basically a crow. They are very gregarious. They use a lot of tools. They're very smart and they will remember forever if you have slighted them. Yes, I like that. Lauren, what's your Damon? Um, mine is a fisher named Henry. Um, he, you know, they are um, northern creatures. I live in Minnesota. They like the cold too. Um, and their one of their primary prey is porcupines, which they basically like walk up to and they just flip them over and start eating them. That's fantastic. I mean, not for the porcupines, but <laughs> I mean, it is for me and Henry. Exactly. <laughs> 
And I will admit that my Damon is probably like my dog, a rather grumpy and elderly chow chow there she was never young she was always grumpy and she's the greatest creature that ever walked the, the planet earth um <laughs> and no we, no hopefully like philip holman has that whole thing about dog damons so yeah it gets a little yeah yeah you know my, it's a little british and classist <laughs> it is it is very classist because it she's he says in the book basically that lyra is narrating somewhat that like all people with dog daemons are like servants it's it's really yeah. gross <sighs> and they like want to take rule like they want rules and they want to follow them all the time and, yeah like, yeah, they're also, obedient. frankly, part of me was like, Philip Pullman, have you ever met a dog? Because, like, my dog is not like that at all. Yeah, my dog doesn't <laughs> listen to a goddamn thing. What are you talking about? She's like, I'm going to be over here doing what I like. And maybe if you're lucky, that will intersect somewhere with what you actually want me to do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> also, can we talk about the fact that apparently in this great fantasy world, there are no people of color? Well, I mean, it is. It is Britain. I was going to say, I was going to say, yeah, it's weird. There, oh, I'm going to feel terrible for remembering it, for not remembering the name of the artist that did this, but there were a bunch of billboards that went up. This has been within the last year that say that there are black people in the future. Also, hi, everyone. I'm black, so this is something that I am deeply uh, concerned with. Yeah. Um, and I just, that's one of the things that always sort of sticks out to me about fantasy not necessarily novels because i don't read a lot of them but also series like every you you can imagine like elephants with no spines but you can't imagine non-white people at all it's okay yeah there might be like a token asian person in the future but there's rarely ever a depiction and uh, granted it's a british book it's not like they weren't like rampant colonialists who like you know they the sun never set on the British Empire, and yet Philip Pullman, sorry, you're being a little bit of a shit, and that he never describes anybody but other than white. It's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Well, at least until the third, at least until Amber Spyglass, when they have all the Africans, and everyone's um, demon is a leopard. Or yeah. Uh, yeah. They're all, like, very stereotypical savannah animals, and I was like, for real? Like, okay. Fine. Yeah, I will be honest for this. I did not reread all three of the books. I just simply didn't have time. Unfortunately, being a book podcaster, you have to read like so goddamn much. So I just went through the Golden Compass. And it's, it's very, I don't know if Pullman is like commenting on the classism or if he's like also steeped in it. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I just don't know. I feel like, and I will admit to being a little biased because I'm also rewatching The Crown right now, which yeah. is not really leaving a lot of love in my heart for the English aristocracy. Fair enough. But I, <laughs> I sort of get the feeling that he would like to sort of disavow it a little bit, but he's so steeped in it that he can't really. Like it's oh, it's not that bad. This is just you know how things are. It's a fantasy novel, and but I still can't imagine any other world outside of the British class system. Yeah. No, I yeah. think that's fair. I'd say, yeah, I'd say like typical kind of middle-aged-ish, older British white yeah. guy yeah. <laughs> who lives in Oxford. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, 
Which, you know, I read it first before the first film came out with Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman, and I thought the world building was lovely and just the visuals of it were fantastic because it was probably the first time I ever experienced like um, steampunk visuals and things like that. And so I thought it was lovely, but now reading it again, you know, 10 years, 12 years later, I can't ignore this that in books anymore. And it's just, I've grown up and I've, you know, my brain has understood this a lot better. And I think a lot of readers now have finally gotten over the hurdle of, you know, being immersed in white British literature and this kind of stuff, it's not acceptable anymore. And you have to call it out and you have to say, this is bad. We should probably not do this anymore. So this series is one of my younger sister's favorite series Mm -hmm. um and so she read it as I don't she's only a little bit younger than I am so she wouldn't have been in middle school but right around then and talking to her about it and the things that I noticed about it as an adult versus the things that she remembers about it from reading it at that age is really fascinating it's sort of what I imagine it's like like rereading Harry Potter or you know revisiting any like uh, Roll dolls books or something like revisiting anything that was that important part of your childhood as an adult where you have been exposed to more of the world and you are more attuned to the things that there may be missing or lacking. It's always sort of like a bittersweet experience. Yeah. I think. Yeah, because I will admit openly that like I grew up Catholic and I'm now not religious at all. So the fact that Pullman like wanted to spit in the eye of the Catholic Church, I'm like, cool, go for it. And I remember like the um, the pushback that the original movie got, and that's literally why we didn't get a movie version of the next two books, because the Catholic oh, Church... I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. The Catholic Church the was... The movie, like when the movie happy. came out, it like didn't even register with me at all. Yeah, it was like, because people who were fans of the books were like, wait, you kind of took like most of the, most of the religious stuff out of it, mm-hmm. which is the entire point i was like i remember watching the first one and being like how in the world are they going to kill god if they do the third one yeah. which giant spoiler alert sorry everybody yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> it's kind of an accident but you, you have know. to call him the authority lauren <laughs> oh jesus um whoops i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i too was raised um like part of the reason i remember when i read these and i really felt like i identified with lyra a lot is that I, too, was raised in a religious background, um, though Methodist is basically the opposite of Catholicism and Christianity in every way. Um, But my dad's a pastor. And so, like, the whole thing about her running around and having the free reign and, like, I was always the kid who, like, knew all the back passages of the church Mm -hmm. and, like, knew all that stuff and was, like, kind of, um, let's be honest, I was a very obnoxious child. Um, (laughs) I was kind of, like, always bragging about, like, oh, yeah, you know, and my dad's in charge here. And, like, yeah, I I sucked. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, like, the whole thing, too, where Lyra is, like, talking about Lord Asriel and she's like, oh, yeah, like, he's the coolest guy in the world and he happens to be my uncle or, you know, spoiler, we find out her dad um so it was like yeah Yeah. I I, I get that (laughs) yeah so interesting I grew up in the well so sort of between two worlds my grandparents were 
um, I'm from the South, so I grew up sort of in the AME church, but mostly once I was older in the Episcopal church mm-hmm. and in like a very liberal Episcopal church where it was like, you should probably believe in God, but mostly like be a nice person. Oh, that's, that's um, so much better than Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was constantly texting Lauren being like, I feel like I should probably like reread the Bible because I think there's some things in here that I'm missing because like... <laughs> Like, I have the general contours of the story, but I feel like there's some stuff in here that I should probably know more about. Yeah, definitely, like, original sin doctrine is not a part of the Methodist church, unless you want it to be, because, honestly, we think you can believe whatever you want. Um, That sounds so much better. I know, I know. Somewhere there are theologians crying right now. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm also, like, don't go to church anymore, so I'm probably, like, vastly misrepresenting um, the religions in which I was raised. But, you know. (laughs) So, but yeah, there was, um, like, I actually did quickly this morning reread the story of Adam and Eve because I was like, oh, shoot, like, I remember that. Like, but not since I was in confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) kind of remember the gist and it happens like pretty literally Mm -hmm. in the end of the third book which um and then but I did reread uh or I read Revelation for the first time which is bonkers (laughs) I don't think I've ever read it (laughs) um you and me both yeah it's well like you, if you've seen anything in pop culture that like sort of relates to Christianity, mm-hmm. like the white horse and yeah. you know the yeah, four like, horsemen, lots of plagues, yeah, badness, yeah, everybody dies, some like, people get resurrected. There's so much numerology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't a good Catholic, but I was raised there. <laughs> so we have to say that like the character that is truly the biggest fuckboy of the entire His Dark Materials trilogy is Lord Asriel. He is awful. He was originally portrayed by Daniel Craig in that one-off movie, and now he's being played by James McAvoy, who we hope is going to be knocking it out of the park. This is where I confess that I don't know enough about James McAvoy to know whether or not like the casting feels a little strange. Yeah. So once again, I am coming into this basically blind. So don't worry, <laughs> I will get back to you and let you know whether exactly. I feel like from the previews, he has that sort of like, I kind of want to punch you in the face look about him. Totally. So I'm feeling very hopeful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. Like, Lord Azrael is. Yeah, let's. I have so many. A quick character. Let's give a quick character bio of him because he starts. He kind of starts off in the golden compass of the main character is this little girl named Lyra Balakwa, whose name is not easy off the tongue. And then she thinks Lord Azrael is her uncle. And she's been raised kind of like as a feral child in fictional Oxford College or Oxford University. And Lord Azrael hasn't really been there. She's just kind of like left to her own devices. And he comes back and introduces her to the concept of dust, which in the book universe is kind of original sin, but not really. It's like but also like sort of part of your soul. Yeah. Kind of. It's like kind of like, yeah, it's like knowledge or 
I think self-awareness, like, self I feel like, is the most. Yeah. That's Which is remarkable given that Lord Azriel has no fucking self-awareness <laughs> whatsoever, but none. <laughs> And then over the course of the first book, Lyra kind of discovers that her parents are these two people, Lord Azrael, who she sees as this amazing heroic figure, and this woman named Mrs. Coulter, who works for the church. And Mrs. Coulter has basically been stealing children and separating them from their animal souls. She's terrifying. She's so frightening. <laughs> like, like I, 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 I think this is where Nicole and I disagree on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate her all the way through the end of the books. Um, like, she is so evil. But, like, her evil is very, like, we realize in the book that she's, straight up evil like almost from the beginning yeah um because yeah she doesn't have a lot of complexity she's just mean and terrible and has that horrifyingly scary monkey (laughs) oh my god i'm like i yeah so many nightmares about that thing um and then you have like so you like so you know from the beginning that she's like straight up evil Mm -hmm. like she's she's trying she's basically killing children yeah um she's ripping their souls out basically because she's just like if you get horny when you're 14 you're ruined so i'm gonna rip out your soul and that will solve everything (laughs) except like i feel like she doesn't care it's for her, though, it's, like, all about the power. She's like, I, yes. Yes. dudes who are running the church, like, all these priests, all these guys, like, they totally suck. I can, I can like, dominate them. And the best way to do that is by murdering children. Yay! <laughs> so this is where I'm going to out myself as a Mrs. Coulter stan. I actually really like her. I don't think that she is a good person, but I really, really like her. Um, just because I appreciate that, again, while being a terrible human being, she has very, very adeptly played the cards that she has dealt, right? Like, yeah. I think everything about this universe suggests to me that there's not really a lot of room for women, that they're sort of shunted off to the side. And she's like, no, not only am I going to be sitting at the table, but you're all going to be terrified of me. And once again, my horrifying monkey, because we cannot stress enough how scary that monkey is. <laughs> I know. It's so weird because her monkey is, um, I think it's supposed to be like a golden lion tamarind. And I am a huge animal nerd. Anybody who's known me for a little while knows this. They're not very large, but oh my God. God, is this monkey terrifying. It is like the most demon fucking monkey in the world. It is so scary. Which kind of fits because she's like, they keep describing her as like the most gorgeous. Like Nicole Kidman played her in the first movie. Yeah, exactly. Like the most gorgeous woman, like, and everything. And then all of a sudden you see and you learn more about her and you realize that there is just like a depth a pit of despair that is soul-sucking. this, like, very <laughs> polished, very pleasing exterior and this interior of, like, I will fuck you up and I will not care that I am doing it at all. It will not matter to me in the slightest. Yeah, I do have um, a soft spot I in like my heart. I like that vibe a lot. 
for character for female characters like that where like you said that they are you know play or they are given a certain hand to play and they're just like yeah and i'm going to ruin you and there's part of me that's yes. like yay <laughs> yes yeah and like i, I identify know. very yeah. strongly with that yeah <laughs> same true yeah and then there's like they give her i mean then there's the whole thing about how she's like, but she loves Lyra. And it's kind of like one Does of those she? things, though, where you see it and you're like, she loves Lyra as like an extension of herself. Yes. Like she doesn't care about killing all of the other children, especially all of like they kind of get into that the kids that are being stolen are like Egyptian, which is their version of gypsy, Romani yeah. traveling. Yeah. Um, like like the Egyptian children and the like poor children and basically like abandoned children. Yeah. But all of a sudden, like somebody tries to touch her daughter and she's like, not my high class prize. (laughs) You know, I I never thought about about until she was 12. (laughs) I had never thought about her loving Lyra as an extension of herself. And one of the things that I did not like about the book is how it takes us. And I, I don't have children. I, do not ever want to have children. Same. Um, and one of the things I disliked about the book was her sort of taking this weird turn and being like, oh, no, I'm terrible and I don't care about anyone except for myself. But like now, all of a sudden, again, like you said, Lauren, once she turns 12, I care about Lyra. But now thinking about it as like, oh, Lyra as part of me and this sort of like not saving Lyra so much as it being some sort of weird form of self-preservation, that I guess makes way more sense. Yeah. And I see that with like spinning back to our actual fuckboy, um, Lord to Lord Asriel. Like that's kind of like what I saw about him too. Is like he again, like he basically takes Lyra out of the convent that her mother, right? Her mom mm-hmm. puts her in. Yes. Yeah. Um, and is like, nope, church, no church for her, and like puts her in at Oxford and like has where she basically becomes this feral child who's like ruling over all of the servant children. Yeah. Um, thanks. Thanks for that. You know, nice little um, bit of classes in there. Yay! Um, and then, <laughs> and then she's like, and, but he literally doesn't care about her. And then all of a sudden at the end of the first book, she shows up and it's like, he's like, Oh, I have to basically kill a child to like, do my magical bridge to the next universe and which doesn't bother me at all like i just got to get it done because that's what i that's the next yeah, step of and, my plan and then he sees yeah, like and he's like and... oh i don't want to kill my daughter but i will kill her best friend right and he's like and then like you know they don't i don't think she sees him ever again or she might see him like one more time in like the second or third book like briefly but like she basically never sees him again and then actually like do you mind if i do like a little go for um, it because i i like thumb down a page in the third book and he was like he's oh, like citations oh, my... come on lauren shut up <laughs> um He's like, oh, my daughter, like at the end when they're like looking and he's like, okay, we got to like save the world for, we got to save the universe. But really it's like him totally doing the whole, like, I got to be a martyr for humankind Mm -hmm. thing because Lord Asriel sucks. My ego requires (laughs) this. Yeah. He's like, oh, my daughter. I am the only one that can save humanity. Oh my God. 
I know. He's like, isn't it something to bring a child like that into the world? You'd think it was enough to go alone to the king of the armored bears and trick his kingdom out of her paws, but to go down into the world of the dead and calmly let them all out? He's like, basically, he's like, my daughter is the coolest. Yeah. And the fact that, like, the angels and the authority and all of these, all of these heavenly beings need to take her down is some sort of a reflection on how awesome I am. <laughs> He's truly detestable. We'll be back right after this. First, I have to discuss how um basically when how Lord Azrael killed Mrs. Coulter's husband. Like in the Oh yeah, I forgot about that this, part. But this, it was self-defense. You know, they were getting like okay, so the 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 biggest red flag for Lord Azrael for me comes in the first book when Ma Costa, who's the Egyptian woman that Lyra feels a connection with, um, was basically assigned by Lord Azrael to like wet nurse her and raise her because Lord Azrael was like, she's my daughter, but I want nothing to do with her. And but then, I can't be bothered. But I can't be bothered. And then Lord Azrael goes to Mrs. Coulter's husband, who's in Parliament, and they get into this huge fight over Mrs. Coulter and. And, like the existence of Lyra, and then Lord Asriel, and I'm not making this up, he shoots Mr. Coulter, and then Ma Costa is hiding in a closet with Lyra, and Ma Costa comes out, and she's holding this screaming baby, and Lord Asriel tells her to clean up the blood. Mm. And that's when you're like, fuck this guy forever. Like, <laughs> you are human garbage. And that's when I was like, oh, my God, he is the king fuckboy of this book. He is so evil. And you're just kind of like, and Lyra's like the switch flips in her head where she goes like, my uncle is this amazing explorer guy. And then she goes, my dad is a dick and I hate him. Yeah. Well, I know like when he, she thought he was, she thought he was her uncle. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was never very nice to her. It's not like they had some sort of like cool, like I have some uncles that I really like. We have a good rapport. No, he's no. just like, he threatens a to beat her a lot. Dude, right. Yeah. Who is around, I guess. And she, I think it's sort of like trading on the currency of being close to him with the kids, but actually doesn't really, it doesn't seem like she wants to be that close to him because he's terrible to her. Yeah, he is. He threatens to hit yeah. her and, and beat her and make her wish she was never born. And it's like really, really gross. Like this is this is why you know you should definitely allow contraception in your church. Yes, um, like <laughs> these are two people who should not be parents and definitely should not be parents together. And I'm glad Lyra exists, and you know that's a whole other discussion. But like these people are the worst. Like no wonder she's like and she's raised and she basically all she has in the world is Pan. And I get a little teary talking about Pan because like. I mean, <laughs> it's <laughs> the animal soul thing is like, okay, I get that. Yeah. Um, but like you and you see Asriel and you're like, oh, he's got like a snow leopard. That's the coolest one. Yeah, that's regal like, and so cool and noble and amazing. Snow leopard is always like very chill and is never really super stressed out by anything. It's just like they're very aware of its surroundings, but not, you know, just sort of hanging back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and she, yeah, she's got, like, the cool name, like, yeah. Uh, 
Lord Asriel is so <laughs> terrible. Because when you realize what's happening, and when Lyra realizes what's happening, and she goes and she finds, what is this, Tony Macarios, like hiding in the fish shed, and he's snuggling that poor dried out fish because his, his, I have never sobbed harder in my life than when he's like, do you think Ratter, who's the name of his daemon, like, do you think she's going to be able to find me? And I'm just like, oh my God, this is truly truly gut-wrenching this poor kid who's like sobbing his eyes out and snuggling a dead fish because he's terrified his soul won't be able to find him and lyra's just like i don't care that they're my parents i'm gonna like send them to hell i am so proud of her despite the fact that she's a little shit like i'm so proud of her in this book and then to watch God tried to stop her. It's like the weirdest. It's kind of a mindfuck series. It really is. Wait, but it's not God that's trying to stop her. It's no, it's Metatron, Metatron. which like, is was so weird for me because I don't know if you guys, I went through with like Jay and Silent Bob phase. And so I was thinking of Metatron as like Alan Rickman from Dogma, <laughs> which just made everything so much weirder for me. On Supernatural, Metatron is played by the guy who played Booger in Revenge of the Nerds, and that's a really weird thing that kept popping into my mind. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, he's just like, I, I do have to give, like... Okay, like I'll give I'll give Mrs. Cold her props for being like in the end she's like okay like this angel who hasn't gotten laid for thousands of years I know that I'm gorgeous so I'm gonna just like walk up get this angel mm-hmm. and then we're going to kill him yes or like jump into the giant void um <laughs> for eternity and so I do love that that is like the one Mrs. Coulter moment that I love where she like walks up and she's like, yeah, so I'm super hot. Um, exactly. You totally want me. And <laughs> he looks at her and he's like, oh yeah, I guess I kind of do. And she has to be like, she basically is like throwing all of her evilness. And like, if she had like an aura, it would probably be like, I don't know, whatever like the most evil aura is. Evilness, I would like to call it her resourceful intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and she's like an, and then she's uh, after that is like all of a sudden she tells Asriel she's like I was really worried he was going to see that I love Lyra and I'm like that's because it was just your self interest bitch it's yeah. like because you don't <laughs> no listen self interest motivates most people all right I know <laughs> myself included I do take umbrage though at like. There's always an evil mom character, and I'm glad that Lord Asriel was also kind of like selfish, dickish dad, but like the main motivator here is evil mom, and I'm just kind of like, thanks, Dis- like, thanks Disney Philip Pullman. Like, why does it always have to be an evil mom? Why? I mean, I she... enjoy evil moms. I loved Betty Draper, controversial take. Um, <laughs> and this, there are a lot of parallels between Mrs. Coulter and Betty Draper. I'm just going to say it. That's true. She reminds me a lot of, the, I had to read this Steinbeck book in Ooh, high school. Lit. <laughs> oh, no, I actually loved it. Um, East of Eden. It's like biblical allegory, Cain and Abel. Um, you never want to talk about that book. Um, but there's this character, um, Kathy who's like the evil prostitute mom mm-hmm. not a whole lot of dimension in her character no, but it doesn't like, sound that like to mrs 
<laughs> no, I mean, Steinbeck does not write women multidimensional. Um, <laughs> but she is like, that's who Mrs. Coulter, like, makes me think of the most is like anything that she, any feeling that she has for children is just like, what can I use them for? Uh, I have to or say at the, um, towards the end of the book where she's trying to save Lyra, mm -hmm. I actually did not know whether she was really trying to save Lyra or if she was just taking her to do something else to her. I did not know that like, as I was listening to the audiobook, I was like, I don't, like, is she really trying to help? I don't know. Which I think speaks to the fact that she is not universally terrible. Um, or maybe it does. I don't know. I never had that feeling yeah. about Lord Asriel. He just comes across as a dick from the very beginning to the very end of the book. And at no point, like, I would go so far as to say that in the way that men oftentimes write women as being like one dimensionally evil or one dimensionally something, I mm -hmm. would almost make the argument that that's how Lord Asriel is written. Cause he doesn't, I mean, aside from the whole like trying to save humanity thing in the worst possible way. And like by pissing everyone off at every turn, he doesn't really have any redeeming qualities. Like he's not nice to anyone. He's barely nice to his generals. Like the people that he needs to win this war. Yeah. Can we also talk about how he causes climate change? That's true. Yes. <laughs> so many parallels to our time. So like, everyone on this show right now is Team Yorick Bernerson. He's the greatest person in this entire book. He's an armor. He's a drunk armored bear. Oh my god, I love him so much. I like. I want a polar bear so much. I want to be a drunk armored bear. And Lord Asriel does. He causes climate change. And Yorick is the king of the armored bears or the Panzerbjorn. And I love them so much. And he basically causes them to have to leave their homeland because he's melting all the snow because Lord Asriel is just that fucking evil. And they're swimming around and they can't find anything to eat. And I was like, that's weird. Was this written two years ago? Mm -hmm. I'm very confused. I know. Yeah. And then there's like all the other worlds are talking about how like all the rivers are flooding and everybody's like trying to figure out what to eat and like all of the like everything is just terrible in all of these lands and like the giant creepy swan things are attacking everyone yeah. in the third book oh, um, yeah the what are they called that are attacking the mulefa that look like the the they look like boats it starts with a t i'm gonna look it up oh okay. talupi yeah. Yes. See, this Something is where like fantasy series start to lose me, where like all of a sudden there's just like tons of fictional characters that are like fictional beings that you have to keep straight. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know, I'm just gonna let it like flow through my brain and enjoy the experience. But I can never remember it for more than like 30 minutes after I finish reading it because it's the bird boats. Yeah. That's what we'll call them the bird boats. The bird boats. Yeah. Yeah. So much happens in this series yeah. that is very like forward thinking for Pullman to have written in like 1995, you know, where like a lot of this stuff is incredibly like worthwhile to read now. It's like Lord Ezreal is literally like a Coke brother. He's just like, there's all these mm -hmm. natural resources for me to explore for my own like personal like 
aggrandizement. And it's like, you are so- And I have this one idea of how the world should be, and I don't actually care who I have to hurt or what, or even if it is a self-defeating purpose, like, I just want the world to be made in this particular image, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. And he has the power to do it, because he's, like, hot and young and rich and born into privilege. He's literally, a, like, a landed gentry in this in this weird little world that Pullman created. And you're just kind of like, you fucker, come on. On, couldn't you have just like just done one thing different? Yeah, and they have that whole thing where it's like, oh, after he kills Mr. Coulter, mm-hmm. like they, I guess he's stripped of all of his money or land or something, but yeah. obviously gets to keep his title because I don't think we ever know his name. Is it, is it just Lord? I don't know. Um, yes, I his think first his name is Lord and his last name is Asriel. I think Asriel is his first name. And you know how he tells Lyra that like her dad was like his brother and like Lyra's last name is Balakwa. So I'm pretty sure his name is like Lord Asriel Balakwa, but like they don't really tell her his last name. I guess yeah, that makes I... sense. Thank God she cha- she gets to change it to Silvertongue. That's true. <laughs> I know, and Yorick gives her the name because he's the best person in the book. Always do what the bear says. Always do what the bear says. <laughs> if you have the opportunity to, be- to befriend a drunk, angry polar bear, I say do it. It's really all I've ever wanted in life. And I didn't know until I started reading these books. I know. I know. I got so many all caps texts about that. <laughs> I, you know, I it's, so much. it's such a good character. He's so lovely. And I, I noticed it when I was reading The Golden Compass, because again, like I mentioned, like that's the only book that I reread for this, was just, I love how much when Lyra is starting to grow up, she starts calling Yorick my dear, which is such like a weird thing to think of like a 12-year-old saying, but it's just so charming where she's just like, you are the person I care the most about right now. You're my bear. You're my dear bear. And I'm just like, oh, I love you so much. She's so good. And then later on I, in the series, whenever she gets into trouble or she's scared or something, or someone is mean to her, she's always just like, if you are worker, he would kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just, he becomes this, like, father figure to her. Yes, I know. And it's, I'm like, I hope at the very end of it, like, you know, she, like, goes back to Oxford and everything. I hope she, like, hangs out with, she, like, goes up to Slavbard, Svalbard. Svalbard. And, like, <laughs> yes. And hangs out with all of the armored bears a lot because, like every everyone else in her life is gone. Yeah, <laughs> and some of that is good because, like, who wants Mrs. Coulter and Lord Asriel back? True. But, like, <laughs> but Roger's gone and Will's gone and like she still has Pan. Yeah, what does that say about like, hey, you're like the main female character, and when you basically go through puberty and know yourself, everyone you love leaves you. But she does like I I did reread um, the third book this morning. Um, <laughs> Thank and you. She gets. <laughs> I know procrastination. Um, so she gets like her own like. I can't remember the woman's name, but the woman who's like the head of the um, the like women's college who mm-hmm. basically oh, yeah. is like definitely is like the Professor McGonagall. Like you can see, mm-hmm. by the way, like a lot of the straight lines from like this to Harry Potter, mm-hmm. just like you can see like 
where I mean, all fantasy kind of has that. Like you can see where like Lord of the Rings comes in, and then you can see all of that. Um, I I actually do read a lot of fantasy, so <laughs> um, it's okay. Thank it's you. <laughs> it's hard to discuss this sometimes when it's just like not a genre that you really really connect with. So I appreciate that. <laughs> This is literally yeah. the only series, aside from Harry Potter, which I guess is fantasy, that I care about. Sorry, everyone yeah. who really likes these books. I'm not trying to yuck your yum. It's just not my yum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but there's, like, so much of, like... So I'm, like, at the end, I'm, like, okay, well, she gets to go and, like, hang out with the cool, badass lady scholars. And which... I hated the end of this series really? so much. I hated that she fell in love with Will. I really wanted her, like, temptation to be something way fucking cooler than that. It just, I was so, I was sending a lot of angry text messages to Lauren. I was like, does it always have to end with a love story? Like, is that the only thing that matters? I realize now saying that out loud, that sounds very harsh, but still. No, I usually agree with you on that kind of thing. Like, I don't think that, like, romantic love is always the best best like motivator for a lot of characters and especially for someone like Lyra who is just so headstrong and just so like proud of herself that to kind of like have like her transformation be like her sexual awakening that feels to me also like in this universe what examples do we have of romantic love that have really gone well except for maybe the two angels sort of yeah oh my god I love the gay angels the gay angels are great. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Round of applause for Philip like, Pullman for the gay else, angels. Yes. Everything else is just like, oh, well, love makes you kill your mistress's husband. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, I do like that Molly Malone, though, Dr. Molly Malone, when she's like doing her whole thing where she's the, being the serpent and like explaining, which is kind of like a weird way to be the serpent is basically just explaining what love is to a couple of almost teenagers. Yeah. Again, it's um, not good well for love, just saying. Yeah, but I do like that she is kind of like, okay, but like I loved this guy and then we broke up and it was totally fine. And then I like had this crush on this boy and then we like he moved away and it was okay because I appreciate at the end that there's not like some weird gymnastics to make them like somehow like actually get to be together and even though it's kind of weird gymnastics to make them have to stay apart um (laughs) instead he kind of wrote himself into a corner on this one (laughs) yes but I do but I actually really like that because um one of the things that can be really frustrating in reading YA Um, is that, you know, like the person that you fall in love with when you're 12 or like have a giant crush on is usually not the person you end up with unless you're in Harry Potter world. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and so I appreciate that there's like this, okay, like, yeah, like this person's going to be part of my life forever, but like, I'm never going to see them again. And that's okay. Yeah. Only on Um, Facebook. Yeah, like that's, and then I'm gonna look on Facebook and be like, really, like that guy? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank goodness I am not with who, whatever boy I had a crush on when I was 14, because I was an idiot. Yeah, (laughs) we all were. That's the whole point of being 14. Exactly. Exactly. That's why you can't get married when you're 14. Yes. But so I kind of like I understand why that's a frustration because so the other like it is true that like a lot of YA does have a love story. And I was talking to 
my cousin who's like 16 last week. And she was saying like, that's her biggest frustration with a lot of YA stuff is that there's like a love story. And it's, you know, like you have the Hunger Games where it's, I love this boy. I love that boy. But like people are trying to kill me, but I care about the boys. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And so I also kind of like that the love story part of it doesn't even come in until like the last 150, 200 pages. It's like you kind of see them testing it out a little bit Mm -hmm. earlier on when they first meet but there's nothing like it's not like they're they're like getting they're getting shit done yeah (laughs) and they're it's a good fake out because i was like oh this is fine they're gonna end uh, by being like really good friends or whatever the love thing sort of came out of left field to me it feels a little tacked on at the end and it just made me so angry because i wanted more for lyra yeah i agree I, yeah, I will say that, like, I feel part of the problem, I think, because you have a whole book, like the whole golden compass is Lyra, and it's largely in her head, like Mm -hmm. a lot of it. It's like, you don't really get to know Will as well as you get to know her. And so it's a little more difficult when you go and you're like, okay, like this kid's fine, but like, is he cool enough for her? Um, well, I think part of that is that school. Will is supposed to be like very quiet and like make himself disappear and just sort of strikes me as like a very self-possessed kid, child, tween, Yeah, he's adult. more mature than Lyra, certainly. Yeah, so it sort of makes sense to me that he is more unknowable and there's less about him. I'm not necessarily sure that it was written this way, but it makes sense because Lyra's sort of like loud and brash and in your face and doesn't really hide what she's thinking. Well, I mean, she does in the sense that she's lying, but that even that is like an audacious way to hide. And mm-hmm. Will's always like, given the opportunity, I'm just going to fade into the background and like not say anything. Yeah. It's it, that it does feel gender reversed, at least. Usually you have like the strong, brazen boy who's going to lead, you know, and then you have like this emotionally mature girl who like, you know, tells him how to, you know, deal with his emotions. But I, so I like the fact that Lyra is this very bold and like audacious and you just like, I usually, resp- she's petulant. She's this really angry, like sparking character and will is just kind Mm -hmm. of like the more emotionally mature emotionally reticent you know keep it under lock and key sort of character so i appreciate that but it does feel a little bit odd that lyra would basically fall for a boy like that when she's just so she really spends like the first couple books you know the first two books just being like no one is as amazing as i am and i'm like yeah Get it, 13-year-old girl. Don't lose that. Please don't ever lose that. Yeah, it just feels like... It feels like Pullman couldn't imagine any other way for these two characters to, like, have an ending that didn't involve them falling in love, which just makes me mad. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I will say, like, his other series, which I don't know, have either of you read the Sally Lockhart series? I haven't. No. Oh. Didn't know that it existed. Nope. Okay, I haven't read them since, like, in ages. There's actually a really good miniseries with Billy Piper, um, like, from Doctor Who, where she plays Sally Lockhart. But it's basically, like, Victorian era, um, like, definitely all in this world, um, but also has a female lead character who's, like, a teenager. I think she's, like, 16 or something. 
um, who is like gets involved in mysteries and opium dens and, you know, basically everything that you imagine from Victorian literature and also has like a story of loss where like her father, I think, dies and she's trying to figure out um, how to like find out what happened to him. And then also has like she falls in love with this guy who then um, spoiler um, <laughs> dies in a fire um, and then finds like ends up. So, like, I think the third book is, like, a lot of her having to deal with the loss of this guy that she's loved and then also having a child um, with him wow. that, now that he's dead. And then falling in love with another guy and being, like, okay, like, you know, terrible. And so I really do, like, I feel like Philip Pullman does a really good job of, like, writing about loss and grief and also being, like, there aren't really soulmates in this world except for your animal soul. Um, yeah. and I appreciate that because so much literature is kind of like, or books and just culture in general is like, there is one person for you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't find that one person, like sucks for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas your so... life is incomplete and you will never find true happiness. Yeah. Yes. Whereas... And so I do. Yeah. yeah. Like this series is like really good about like, yeah, like people are part of your life and then they aren't part of your life anymore and that's okay. And then like at the end when they go out from the world of the dead and then all of your atoms are absorbed into the magical world and they can, I'm going to cry, like talk about how they like can find the part of your animal soul again. <laughs> that's the part. I basically cried through all of Lee Scorsby. <laughs> so... I, I, nothing has made me want, like, an animal companion quite like this book and this series really does. Because it really drives, like you were saying, like, it really drives home this idea that you are a complete person no matter what. And especially in anything with a romance angle, you know, it's, it's a very rare thing. And for, especially for that to be in YA where they're like, I love when the um, sailor explains to Lyra that like your soul changes form because when you're a kid, you don't know who you are yet. And when you find out who you are, your aunt, your Damon tells you more about yourself. And it's just this most like lovely, lovely thing. And then he also explains that some people, they're not happy with the form that their daemon finally takes and that's also a part of life where sometimes you just like you're discontented with yourself and it's just you know if you're lucky you get to be an adult and a person who knows themselves and loves themselves and and it's just a really lovely thing to kind of tell 13 and 14 year old kids that when they're trying to figure out their place in the world it's going to take some time and it changes and you might not end up being happy but hopefully you will and all oh of those God. things are okay don't and are like a, a natural part of life. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get a dolphin demon though. Cause like that's <laughs> yeah. terrible. Also some demons are objectively better than others, but whatever. This is true. I mean, don't hope mine, for, mine will fight you. It's yeah. fine. Don't hope for a servant dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, did you guys hear that in the golden, no, in the Amber spyglass, I think that there is a little, no, it's, 
Maybe it is the Golden Compass. I can't remember which book it is. It's either the first or the third one that the UK version actually has a is a little bit more explicit about Lyra's like sexual awakening, and yeah. they cut that part from the US books entirely, which I think is interesting. That does not shock oh, really? me. Really? Yeah, I saw that on Wikipedia when I was researching a little bit, where they're just kind of yeah. and it's like, and the UK version is not like explicit by any means. No, it's but they like really truncated it for the American version because they like identify it as her sexual awakening instead of just like sort of weirdly talking around it like they Mm -hmm. do in the U.S. version but like that's it yeah interesting okay yeah I definitely have the hardcover (laughs) because I bought these when they came out um so American version so I didn't know that there was a difference yeah I think on that note I think we might should probably wrap it up (laughs) well thank you very much for being on I really appreciate it this has been a hoot of a discussion and we need to think of more more books to discuss in the future we are happy to come back and yell about books any time and as always you can follow fuckboys of literature on twitter at fuckboys of lit that's b-o-i-s or find my personal twitter at ms emily edwards we are also on instagram under the exact same handles be sure to check out our website fuckboysoflit.com where you can find some fun blog posts a link to our merch shop or other ways to support we're on patreon now and if you can some of the best support is rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you tune in you have no idea how much i appreciate reading your comments and kind words thank you a million times for listening this week i'm emily edwards and have a good one and they will remember forever if you have slighted them when your skin feels nourished and glows you radiate confidence osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean clinically proven mega moisture duo This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.